It's very good to be able to be with you today. So Liz and I have been catching up with people before and between the services and after and have been visiting people in this area, staying with the Woodruffs, using that as a base. It's great to catch up and uh, because this is uh, part of our life, um, we had to go by Liz's older old home uh, where Bill and Sarah Mallow lived, her parents. Um, we went by a couple places that we've lived uh, on home ministry assignment uh, while we've been serving as missionaries. And uh, so it's just kind of nice to come back and find things, uh, find uh, things that uh, have changed and things that are the same. When I was a student at Covenant College years ago, I was on the, um, the student newspaper staff and uh, we had heard that a pastor was there at, at the college because he was on the board of uh, Covenant College. His name was Bill Mallow, and uh, he was uh, pastor of a church in Annapolis, Maryland. And we'd heard good things about this church and the way they did ministry and the growth of the church and things like that, so we wanted to find out uh, more about the, the church. So, you know, naturally you think, well, we'll I'll, I'm talking to the pastor. I've, I was in a class with his uh, daughter. Uh, she was a classmate of mine. I, his father and I knew each other. His father and my father knew each other, and I'd met him before. But So I'm asking these questions and trying to find out what's kind of the secret of the ministry of, of Annapolis EP. Uh, what, what's the priority? How do you go about those things? And the thing that he emphasized was that he, he saw his role and that of of those who were in leadership in the church to, as uh, uh, just what's described here in Ephesians chapter four, equipping the people in the church to do the work of ministry. And I remember the bulletin used to say on there and have a list of elders and deacons, and then it would say the ministers of this church are the people in the church, something to that effect. Uh, I met Liz and we fell in love and got married and went to Westminster Seminary, and I came uh, down for us to be involved in a summer internship one summer while a student. And uh, so now that he was my father-in-law, I thought, well, we'll sit, sit here on the side porch, and I will ask him, what do you want me to do in ministry this summer? And his answer was not, well, I'm in charge of everything, and this is what I want you to do. His answer was, I told the elders in the church uh, that you're coming. And they're all responsible for a different area of ministry in the church. And so they will talk to you about what they, they want you to do. Uh, one of the things I was assigned to was for us to spend time with a middle school age youth group that met at Nina Hart, uh, Martin's house. And uh, <clears throat> so we would, we would spend time, you know, walking around and seeing what the kids were doing and getting to know them and stuff. But our job was not to minister to those kids because there were plenty of high school kids and college kids and adults who were doing that ministry. The responsibility I was given was to have a Bible study with the staff after the kids had gone home. And there it was, living out that reality, that principle of equipping saints who were doing the work of ministry and helping them to better be able to do that. Um, you've been with us as an example in ministry. Uh, you've been supporting us for a long time, for 40 years, for 42 years really, uh, while we were in Kenya for 23 years and 16 years in London. Uh, 
And uh, you've sent other people out and are supporting others. Uh, one of the jobs that we will have after retirement is to be the pastoral associate couple to provide care for the missionaries with Mission of the World in the United Kingdom. And that includes Greg and Leanne Doty and their girls, and Will and Judy Traub, and uh, Robbie and Lydia Sweet, all of whom are supported by this church. So once again, you're sending us out to equip saints for the work of the ministry. Thank you. In this passage, Paul wants to talk about how the body of Christ works together and how each part makes its contribution. In verse 7, well, let me read the passage. But to each one of us, uh, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service or if you have the ESV, to prepare the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we, we, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me pray. Father, we come to your word. You speak to us. You instruct us in the things that we need to know about you and the things we need to know about the Christian life that you've brought us into through Christ and your Spirit's work. We pray that that same Spirit would open your word to us, that we would understand it, that our hearts would not be resistant, that we wouldn't cover our sin, but be exposed before you and know the forgiveness that we have through Christ's blood and the, the life that we have in him. Help us to know, as we look at these verses, how we can live before you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In verse 7, Paul begins by talking about how unity that he's been describing in the first verses is, plays out in the church. And the thing that he wants to emphasize is that to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he's talking about everybody in the church there, and he's talking about gifting. He uses a similar kind of language, uh, grace has been given, when he talks about, uh, for example, the grace that is given to me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and he uses that language in talking about spiritual gifts elsewhere. So that's the particular thing he has in mind. And he is emphasizing that is Christ apportioned it, so it sovereignly comes from Christ, and that it is grace, it is not our effort, it is not 
you know, my innate qualities, but it's God's uh, gracious gifting to us, and that it's universal in the church. To each one of us, grace has been given. Now, for the kids, you might be thinking, well, he's talking about the adults here. But he's not, because in uh, the first verse of this letter, he says, this is to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And if you want to know who's included in the saints in Ephesus, in chapter 5, it says wives and husbands, they're both included, and children. He addresses the children in the church, assuming they're listening to this, and they're going to be following what he says. Children, obey your parents. And he talks to the parents, and he talks to the slaves, and he talks to the owners. He talks to every imaginable group in, in the church. He's speaking to all of them. So when he talks about, to each one of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it, that means the five-year-old has been apportioned grace by Jesus Christ. The slave has been given that grace. It's everybody. It's not just the people who seem to be important and the people who seem to get attention. And there's ministry that you as kids can have, people you will talk to about Jesus that nobody else can talk to. And in fact, sometimes as adults, we're kind of afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus and, and to express our love for Jesus. And then a kid comes up and says, do you know Jesus? Jesus has, take, has changed my life. You need to know Jesus. He will change your life. And we're thinking, why couldn't I have said that? Because that grace has been apportioned to that child by Jesus Christ. When Paul goes on here, he's talking about why Christ can apportion uh, this grace to all of us. And he quotes from a psalm. The psalm is is portraying God as the conquering uh, emperor who has come into a territory. He's defeated his enemies. And so all the people come to him as the sovereign and they give him gifts to show who he is and to acknowledge his importance. But when Christ applies this, uh, when Paul applies this psalm to the Lord Jesus, he applies it in a little different way because he said he is not just the one who ascended, but first of all, he descended to the earth. Uh, Christ, uh, God in the Old Testament descended in the, in the Shekinah glory to rest on the tabernacle and the temple to be among his people, but he didn't take on flesh like Jesus did. So Jesus has done far more to fulfill what God wanted to do for our salvation in coming and becoming a man and going to the cross and taking our sin on the cross and, and giving us new hearts through that. So he, he's the one that Paul says it fills the entire universe and yet he has become like us. And so Paul says he doesn't just receive gifts from men, but he goes beyond that and he gives gifts to men. He loves his church so much that he's given gifts to everybody in the church so that we might serve him. So how are we all going to be equipped to use those gifts? Well, Paul says in verse um, 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
In other places where Paul talks about gifts, he'll talk about specific gifts that people were given. So he and Peter had a gift of healing, and that was a part of their ministry. They were able to heal people and talk to them about Christ. Other people had gifts of tongues or administration and helps and many different things that contributed to the body of Christ. Here, Paul is not talking so much about what people do, but types of people that are people that are given as a gift to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And each of these people has a particular role. Um, uh, because uh, Peter and, and Paul and John were called as apostles by Jesus Christ, uh, we have the New Testament written, and we can understand. Uh, we also have the prophets who spoke God's word, and so many of those were written down for us and are part of the scripture. Uh, Christ provided evangelists like Philip and Stephen who went and, and preached the gospel to people who had not yet heard it so that they come, could come to faith in Christ. And he provided pastors and teachers or shepherds and teachers uh, for all the churches so that all of us could be taught. And when Paul went around uh, planting churches, he came back and ordained elders in all those churches so they would have people to lead them, to teach them, to shepherd them, to preach the gospel to them. When John Calvin preached a sermon on this passage, he said we, Paul really corrects a problem that we sometimes experience, and that is kind of a, 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 a distinction between uh, clergy and laity that divides them uh, from one another and, and creates a, a gulf between them so that we don't benefit from one another as, as uh, we ought to, as Christ intended for us. So you think of situations in, in, in which a, a man who is a pastor may be very intent on showing off his learning and how educated he is. And therefore, he, he preaches in a, in a way that only the PhDs in the congregation can understand because that's what he's interested in impressing. Or you have people who are, have been a part of a church for a long time and they're struggling with something in their life or their family and, and they feel like, I wish I could talk to somebody about it. I can't go to the pastor because he's so learned and he's so holy that he would never understand the struggle in my life and would never be able to, to uh, help me with that. And so we have a, 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 a chasm there that Calvin says is, is not right. He says, those who preach and teach need to understand that they, they are dependent upon the response of those who listen. And so the whole purpose of their preaching and teaching is to equip all those people for the work of ministry. And he says, those who are listening ought to be hungry to hear what they are being taught. So instead of considering themselves distinct, they need to absorb everything that is coming to them in order that they can be prepared for the work of ministry. So Calvin says these two need to come together. And Calvin himself is a, is a, was an excellent teacher and, and, uh, and did a lot of teaching. I mean, I've got this much Calvin's commentaries or, or so on my shelf. And all of that is basically his teaching and preaching that has been written down. Uh, we need each other and we need that equipping. Uh, Paul says the, the purpose of this is to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is continuing his theme in this chapter of unity, but he says the only way we are going to have unity is if we're all learning and we're all growing and we're all contributing to one another's maturity as the body of Christ. It's a body, so the parts need to be working together and helping each other out. So though we have apostles uh, with a capital A like Peter and John and Paul who are sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, we also have apostles with a small a. The Greek word is apostle and the Latin word that's equivalent is missionary. So we have people like Liz and I who were sent by this congregation and commissioned by this congregation to go and work in Kenya and in England. Uh, also, in many ways, we are sent to different things. You are sent by the church and prayed for in the ministry that you're involved in. Uh, Christ has sent you through the means of this part of the body of Christ to minister in the places where you are. So in a certain sense, we are all sent to something. We're also uh, prophets in a way in which when we, when we speak to other people, the scriptures should be part of that so that we can encourage people and help them to understand what God says. We need to be evangelists. We need to take the gospel not to the Samaritans, maybe like, like uh, Philip, but to the people that God has put in our lives. Uh, your, your pastor is not going to know all of your neighbors, all of the people in your workplace, all the people in your school, but God's going to give you opportunities that he will never have. And so all of us have those kinds of roles. And all of us can be shepherds and teachers of other people. Uh, I can remember being in a, in a men's Bible study that met at Denny's, uh, and it was all guys from here in this church. And there was just an awful lot of teaching that was going on there as we would bring up prayer requests and talk about what's going on in our lives and applying the scriptures in those ways. We were shepherding and teaching one another, and we were equipped for that uh, because of the, the ministry of the church to us. So Paul says, if we're going to be mature, we're going to have to do that together. Uh, we can't leave people behind in that growth and maturity. If we're going to be united in the Son of God, if he's going to be the, our head and we're going to, to flesh out his fullness in us, it's going to be because we're hearing the name of Christ preached. We're hearing the gospel preached to us consistently. In our ministry, this uh, passage has been a real guide and a lot of decisions we've had to make and understanding how we are to do uh, ministry. Uh, when we got to Kenya shortly after we had arrived, a local politician pulled some strings and got our clinic, our health center, shut down. And we had to figure out with the Ministry of Health what was the thing that uh, needed to be fixed in order to get the health center uh, uh, opened again. Uh, uh, it was not a good thing for that political, uh, the political career of that guy. Uh, because many people the next election said, yeah, you closed down the clinic and my child died of measles. That's a good way to kill your political career. But what we learned from that was we're here as guests. Uh, we're not permanent. Our job not, here is not primarily to do the ministry, but to train Kenyans to do the ministry because we could be shut down at any time. So we can't say um, one of these days we will train some Kenyans to do medical work. We had to be doing that all the time. 
And in working with a church, we couldn't say five years from now, I need to identify uh, an intern and start working with that person. Instead, that hap had to be happening right now and all the time. Uh, initially, we were working with a, a little church. Uh, it had a thatched roof under a tree and poles to sit on, not very comfortable. Get there early before you get a spot with a branch sticking up. And, uh, and that was where we were gonna minister. Mikey Kamba was not good enough yet to preach for, in the language. And uh, so I identified a, a young man who was still in school and his English was good and he translated. And so then we met together and would talk about how do you study a passage of scripture? How do you figure out how to preach to people on that passage? How do you deliver a sermon? And as we grew in that, then we started switching roles. And we'd say, okay, a couple weeks from now, you're gonna preach and let's figure out how to understand this passage and how you're going to communicate that to the people in this little church. He went to Bible school, he became a pastor. He became the pastor of the lead church in the city of Nairobi and uh, became the moderator of the, of the denomination. In that case, we could really see God's blessing of equipping a saint for the work of ministry and seeing that grow. One time I was talking to him and another younger pastor I'd worked with, and they introduced me to another man and they said, you know so-and-so because he's the pastor of the church at such and such a place. Well, they could tell from my face, I didn't know who this was and where this place was. And they said, oh, that's right. You trained us, we trained him. You helped us in our churches, we helped him in planting that church. And it was a great sense of satisfaction in seeing God is equipping saints for the work of ministry generation after generation. We went to London and became part of a church there. Very different culture, very different context, but the same principle applied. Um, we had a number of young mothers in the church and they were always helping each other out you know, passing down baby clothes, passing down strollers or push chairs as they call them, uh, encouraging each other in their mothering and setting an example for each other. And, uh, but then they said, but what about the mothers that we meet at the park or the playground and on the streets and in the shops? Uh, they don't have anybody around to help them. Let's start a, a moms and tots group in the church and uh, we can invite these women to come. And they began building relationships with these women and getting to know them and, and teaching their kids gospel songs and talking to the moms and encouraging them and living the gospel out and speaking to them. The last six months of our time in, in uh, London, we had to move to another place. And the neighbors, a young couple with a little girl, uh, they introduced themselves and, and, and as we talked, they said, oh, you're from that church. That's the friendly church, we call it. We're not church people, we, don't go to, we haven't gone to church, but my wife and little girl go to the, the little stars at your church, and those are the most wonderful women. They've been so kind to us. They are very friendly people. The gospel was having an impact on an unchurched family's life because those women were equipped for the work of ministry and they reached out to others. What, is it, what does it look like uh, when we, when we uh, live in this way as a church. Well, Paul sp starts talking about what it doesn't look like before he talks about what it looks like. 
Verse 14, he says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So as a New Mexican, I look to you to help me understand this passage. In New Mexico, we have lots of beach, but no water. And, uh, and here you live around the water. You cross bridges all the time. Um, but here's the picture that Paul's uh, painting, and you can imagine it very well. You can imagine a bunch of children. Uh, the NIV says infants. These are young children. And they're all in a rowboat, and they're out in the Chesapeake. And a storm comes up, and the, the, the wind is pushing them this way and that, and the, the waves are coming in and splashing into the boat. The kids are afraid. Uh, the boat is, uh, is, is in a dire straits. And how does it work? Because they're infants, a seven-year-old says, I'll take the tiller. And another seven-year-old says, you always get the tiller. It's my turn to take the tiller. So you have two of them going like this, fighting over the tiller. Uh, two other helpful kids take the oars. And, uh, but the trouble is their skill level is six years old. And uh, so one's going one way, one's going the other way. So they're spinning around in the water with the tiller uh, wagging on the, on the stern of the boat. That's the picture that Paul paints, and we can understand that picture. But Paul's not really talking about the kids. Paul's really talking about all of us in the church. And you've had that experience. Some of you, you know, if I create a scenario, you, you think, well, I've kind of lived that. I really wanted to be involved in the youth ministry, and so I volunteered, and then I went to the meeting, and that other person was there. And you know what he said five years ago to me? It still hurts. So I don't think I'll be involved in the youth ministry. Instead, I'll go do something else. Or you get involved in a ministry and you feel like, I could provide some leadership here. The trouble is, so-and-so is leading this ministry. And I just don't like the way they do it. And so we're, we're, we're kids in the boat. And the, and the, the church is floundering sometimes. Um, we've worked in places where, where there's just little churches here and there, like Spain, which is so desperate for the gospel. And you go to some of these communities, it's everybody's Catholic or influenced by Catholicism, and you have this little evangelical church, and on the other side of town, there's another little evangelical church because their grandfathers had some spat which is still not resolved. And the ministry of the church is, is stunted because of those things. Paul says, that's not what we need. Paul said, in, uh, uh, I mean, in the, in the context... Um, uh, we're just subject to all these things around us. Uh, he says they, they are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. In the ESV, it says uh, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. And we think of doctrine as within the church, but it's the same word as the word teaching. And teaching is all around us that's going this way and that. Um, and we're influenced by all of that. Uh, one of the adjustments for us is coming from England to the U.S. and finding out how politicized a number of things are. And finding out what are the controversies uh, in this country as compared to the controversies that there were in England. Um, 
you know, there's every wind of teaching around uh, and, and a difficult making decisions in those things. One of the churches we've worked with in England was going through this, this controversy about wearing masks and not, and some people were threatening to leave the church if they, if they had to wear masks. The pastor's wife was diagnosed with cancer, and all of a sudden they said, wait a minute, what's really important here? We need to be united as a body in supporting our pastor and his wife and their family instead of squabbling over a particular issue. The world around us is blowing every which way with every kind of teaching around us. And some of, some of it is not just erroneous, but some of it is, is cunning, craftiness, deceitful scheming. As a church, we need to be different than that. We need to not conform to the world around us and try to figure out how to please them, but to realize that sometimes we will be uh, persecuted because of our stand with Christ. We can't please everyone. Instead, we need to be a place where people feel like they can come and find sound teaching, where they can find us working together, where all of these different groups that, that we can be divided in are actually worshiping the Lord Jesus and serving together. Here's what Paul says it looks like. Instead, verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Sometimes we err on the side of speaking the truth. Uh, that's an ugly shirt. I wouldn't be caught dead in public wearing that shirt. Uh, and the love is gone. Uh, even if we say, I tell you this because you're a brother in Christ. On the other side, we, sometimes we, we emphasize the love. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, everything that would please you. I want to make you happy. Uh, I want us to have a nice relationship. And so I'm not going to bring up things that you might not like to hear. And uh, so you don't tell the guy that uh, his shirt is buttoned wrong. You just let him go on in his way. Uh, as, as believers in Christ, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to have that kind of relationship in which we're open to those things, that we aren't those people who are divided by unresolved issues, but we speak to each other in love and we resolve those things and we come together. Um, and when Paul speaks about the truth, he's not really talking about those issues like whether your shirt is ugly. He's talking about speaking the truth of the gospel. Is the gospel part of our conversation? Do people see Christ and hear Christ because we talk to them? Uh, are we bringing it into the way in which we bring healing to one another and the way we speak to people in the world around us? Paul says we need those things as, as balanced partners, truth and love, so that we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ is the focus. And Christ is the one that is essential to the truth that we speak to each other and the love that we have for each other. From him, in verse 16, he says, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul emphasizes that Christ is the sovereign. He's the whole point of the church. He's the thing that joins us together but he also wants us to remember that each ligament, each part has got to do its work. 
Some years ago, I was working on my motorcycle and lopped off the end of my thumb. And uh, I've had to learn to do things differently since then. I still experience pain in that spot. Uh, I have to do things differently. Uh, I've had to accommodate to that loss. Uh, the same thing in the church. You have a particular gift or you've cut yourself off maybe from somebody else's gift because of a broken relationship. And so there's a stuntedness in the God body. There's ongoing pain. The body has to accommodate to how do we do things because we, we can't work together or someone is refusing to participate. Uh, guys, are two are fighting over the tiller and other people refuse to row. Um, when we lose a part of the body, we, we lose something that God has given to us as a gift. But the whole point is that we, the body is united together in Christ. If I cut off my head, uh, I'm not in pain anymore. I'm dead. If we lose our connection to Christ, uh, we're dead as a church. And there are churches that look that like churches, but they've lost their connection to Christ and they're dead. We need, to, we need both of those things working together. Let me finish with an example from our time in rural Kenya. Uh, we had a health center and some of the patients who came, uh, came uh, they, they should have been treated at home uh, sometime back. And now they're much more serious and it's much more life-threatening. And uh, other people came for preventable things that could have been cared for if they'd understood basic nutrition and first aid and things like that. And so we realized that what we needed was a community health education program. Uh, some of you remember Lois Ohms, and she was one who was very involved in that. So we, uh, she and others met with, uh, with pastors in the denomination and said, this is what we would like to do. We'd like to train community health workers. Who are the people that we could train? And the pastors said, it's women in our church that could be trained. Now before this, women in the church felt like, there's nothing I could do to serve Christ. Uh, that's what we pay the pastor for. He's the one who does the ministry of the church but I'm just a woman. There's nothing I can do except uh, sweep before the meeting or cook if we have a meal uh, or put a, you know, a little copper coin in the offering. If I was younger, maybe I could sing in the choir, but there's nothing I could do. Well, now the pastors were saying, train these women. And those women got training in, in, uh, in nutrition and health and first aid and, and how to care for sick people and things like that. So the one story I remember hearing was a woman who, was, who had never been to a church. She was a pagan. She cared nothing. She didn't believe all that foolishness. So she was on her way to our health center because her little girl, her baby girl, was, um, uh, might lose her life from diarrhea. And uh, so she stops at her neighbors, who's a community health worker, and she says, I'm on my way to the clinic. Um, because of my baby is so sick. And the woman, the Christian woman says, well, let me pray for your child. Stay here for a while. Let me explain to you what diarrhea is like. Traditionally, we were taught that this child has too much fluid in its body, and so we need to let it all out. But your child is, is dying like a plant and needs water. 
So let's, let's make up this solution and feed it to your child and let's care for her and get some nourishment into her and, and let me pray for your little girl. So she prayed and they cared for the little girl and the day went on and they could see some signs of improvement. And then she's, the woman said, stay the night with me and we'll see how your little girl is in the morning. In the morning, the little girl is laughing and eating and doing so much better and she says, I don't think I need to go. She says, I never believed this stuff about Jesus, but you prayed to Jesus for my baby and you cared for us and showed us your love and my little girl is better. I want to know this Jesus. A woman who thought she didn't have a way that she could be involved in ministry was equipped and enabled to bring the gospel to somebody that her pastor could never could have reached. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have come down, that you have sent Jesus to come way down to us, that he would become like us and know our needs, that he would go to the cross and take our sin to the cross, that we might be covered in the blood of Christ. Lord, you have made us part of your body. And that's an incredible thing because we aren't here because we deserve it, but because your love is so great and so strong. Help us, Lord, to learn to live as part of your body, to serve you well, to hear your word, to speak your word to one another, that we might grow in maturity and the fullness of Christ. We thank you for him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.